0: Good to see you, so for the last time this week we are looking at Galatians, so turn in your Bibles to the New Testament letter to the Galatians and we're going to read a few verses from chapter 5 today and uh, then I'll pray and then we'll get into what it has to say. So this is this letter that Paul wrote to the churches in Galatia that were in danger of giving up on the freedom that the message of Jesus had brought them into. Uh, the the gospel, the good news of Jesus, had been declared to them. They'd become Christians. They started to enjoy amazing freedom. And then they started to go into teachings that brought them under bondage again, into slavery, uh, into uh, a sad, sad atmosphere in the church where instead of actually rejoicing in all God's kindness and generous love towards them, they were really trying to prove themselves to God and prove themselves to one another, which doesn't lead to a happy atmosphere in any church. So Paul's trying to help them away from that and get them back to the gospel that he'd originally brought them. So I'm going to read chapter 5, verses 13 to 15, and then we will get into it. It says this, For you were called to freedom, brothers, By the way, just when he says brothers, it's an inclusive way of talking to the church in that time. It means everybody. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another... Watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Let's pray right now. God, we thank you for this letter. We thank you for what you've been teaching us through this week about your son and what he has done for us. And right now we pray that you'd send your Holy Spirit so that the true liberty that we have as your children would be understood once more with greater clarity and that we might live in the good of it. Uh, not just today, but in the days, uh, months and years ahead. We ask this according to your mercy and in Jesus' name. Amen. So I get to go on a plane from time to time. I expect most of you will have uh, flown in different planes and you will have considered how well organized generally things will be on the flight. You know, that the staff, the the, the flight attendants and the pilot will have been trained. The pilot, especially, you, you trust, has been trained fairly well. There would be rigorous training because the pilot is in charge of an awful lot of machinery, a lot of power, and a lot of lives. Uh, while he or she is taking the flight somewhere, they're, they're in charge of a lot of responsibility. And so they would be carefully trained so that they're prepared to use this power well. And when I read these verses, I, I get this sense of something similar. It's like Paul is saying, you have been given something extremely powerful. The gospel of Jesus Christ, That the book of Romans says, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation for all that believe. This is no small thing. To, to know Jesus Christ, to have the gospel, is to be given extraordinary power. And so Paul wants us to learn to use it well, to use it wisely, to use it to greatest effect, not to use it in a damaging way. He's taking his friends in Galatia through some careful training. He's, he's making them think carefully about how best to use this kind of machinery of the gospel, if you like, in these three verses. And the way he does it, he takes them through a sequence of thoughts. He first talks about the goal, he clarifies the goal of the gospel in our lives. He he then warns them about a dangerous error that we can fall into, a mistake that we classically make uh, from from, uh, the freedom that we have. And then finally he focuses us on the task at hand. But let's look first of all at the goal that he clarifies in the first stage of this training. He, he, he wants us to understand the nature of our freedom. He says, you were called to freedom, brothers. You were called to freedom. He makes it clear up front. Okay, Before I say anything else right now, this closing stage of the letter, I want you to be reminded again, just in case you haven't noticed that the whole of this letter is about this. Let's just make it clear one more time. You're called to freedom, 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 freedom. Every chapter of this letter, he's just banging it home. Freedom. It's a really repetitive letter, Galatians. Not all the letters in the New Testament are like this. It keeps making the same point in different ways. Bang, bang, bang. Freedom, freedom. I want you to get this. But listen, there is a particularly big reason why he needs to say it here. Because what Paul is about to do is launch into some quite practical instructions. This is the part of the letter where he gets practical and it starts to feel like he's giving us some commands. He's going to tell us what to do. And what we could do is start to get a bit sceptical. Start to imagine that all this talk in the first four and a half chapters about freedom! is about to be negated. Is about to be taken away from us. And what what Paul gave us with the right hand, he's about to take away with the left. All the liberty from being under the law, having to please God through our own efforts, and trying really, really hard to be in with God and in with his people. We're free from all that. And then Paul's suddenly going to say, yeah, but I do want you to obey the law still. I do want you to behave yourselves. I do want you to be good Christians, otherwise you can't stay. You think, what? What are you talking about? You you were just saying that we're free. What what are you doing letting freedom go and the Lord come back in? He needs to say right up front, therefore, he, he needs to say right now, listen, whatever I'm about to say next, trust me, it's still about freedom. It's still about freedom. Now, one of the reasons we have trouble here is because we have a fairly shallow view of what freedom is we we can talk about freedom without properly defining it we can start to imagine that we all know what we mean when we use the word freedom or similar words like liberty or deliverance we can can start using words without properly defining them in our time, in our culture, in, in the UK in this sort of time in history freedom tends to mean Liberty from any kind of authority figure, any kind of oppression I get to be free from. I get to do whatever I want at any time. That is freedom. That's the way we tend to think of it. Now it may be that actually it's good to be free from, from domineering, cruel, tyrannical people. Maybe there are authority figures in our lives who use their authority in a wicked way and it may be that there are times when we need to be set free from them and that is a good, good thing. But that isn't the whole definition of freedom. See, we we probably live at the most uh, anti-censorship time in history, for example, where, where people tend to equate freedom with my right to look at anything I want to whenever I want to whether it's online or in print I get to look at pornography for example whenever I want and that is my liberty and how dare you question my freedom to look at material that I want to look at if you don't let me look at that you are anti-freedom I want to have I in fact demand the freedom I want it legislated I want the government to back me up that I have freedom to look at pornography problem is if you pursue a lifestyle of looking at pornography well within at least a couple of generations if not long before you get a whole society that is in bondage where people are not free at all they're totally addicted to pornography they cannot break the habit or they feel they cannot break the habit it just seems to have them under control welcome to your freedom is that what freedom is this is the same with so many of the freedoms that we kind of celebrate as a society. We, we, we talk about freedom not realising it's false. And then on the other side, the more positive side, you, you might have a situation where somebody pursues a hobby or an interest. Maybe they're a musician. I mean, maybe you've seen someone who's a brilliant piano player maybe some of you are you know outstanding you've gone through the grades and you've you've practiced to the point where you you could one day be a concert pianist anybody who gets to that level there will be times in their life where their friends will say to them you are a slave to your piano why don't you come out for a drink what is wrong with you you are always playing the piano you're obsessing about what is why are you not free like the rest of us But then one day they might go, those very friends, to a concert where their slave friend sits and plays the piano and they notice the way they play and they think I have never seen someone with so much freedom, the way they play it's like they are utterly liberated. They are setting their heart free through the way they play the piano. But while we were watching, they were just patiently doing the scales, day after day, hour after hour, <laughs> for just years of patient practice, which looked from the outside like some kind of bondage. Actually, what it led to was extraordinary freedom. So I think generally we, we need to watch ourselves in our understanding of what freedom is. It's got a few more layers to it than our general society at the moment seems to understand. I guess we tend to think of freedom as being, like I said, liberated from some kind of commanding authority figure. But think about what you're being free for. Freedom from might be a good thing, but that's only half the story. What are you being free for? What are you being freed to do? So maybe a boat on the high seas could get commandeered by a a boat full of baddies you know some pirates who turn up and take control of this other boat and they, they put their grappling hooks in and they pull it in and they commandeer it for, for a few days or whatever and then I don't know Jack Sparrow turns up and then this this commandeered boat gets set free free from the baddies and that's good it's great it's free it's wonderfully free but it's now stranded it's, it's out on the high seas on its own and it's not going to possible for the sailors to survive they're free but they're lost being free from things is good, being free to something is also essential for us to enjoy the true freedom and we need to get clear about what we mean by freedom in our situation I suppose for many of us here as, as people who want to follow Jesus we might Have times where we kind of resent the idea that God God knows better than we do what will lead to freedom. And those are the times when we need to trust. We need to exercise faith and say, God, I just choose to believe what you say. We do what we sang about for about five minutes just now I will trust, I will trust, I will trust in you. You know what leads to freedom. And I will trust you. It doesn't always feel like it, but it leads to genuine liberty. Let's look at the second thing he does. So he's clarified the goal. He's saying, look, understand this is about freedom. But let me just look at the second thing. It's there in verse 13 again, uh, where he says to them, Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. So here he's, he's saying to his trainee air pilot, say, let me just get your attention, listen carefully, there's a classic mistake that people will make now. We talked about freedom, but let me just help you understand the danger here. The danger comes from what he calls the flesh. The flesh. Now, to help us get this, we just need to grasp what we mean by flesh. Flesh, in the, in the letters that Paul wrote, It means that part of us which kind of is filled with this selfish tendency to see life, the world, everything as basically for me. It's what we've inherited from our fallen great, 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 Parents, grandparents from the garden, Adam and Eve, ever since, every child of Adam and Eve has been born into the world with what the Bible here calls that that flesh, that, that tendency to see everything as basically about me, that it's really here for me and I'm selfishly holding out against God and against all the other people that he's made, the flesh demands that. Now here's the really important thing, the Christian is not the flesh. A Christian does not equal the flesh. A Christian still has what Paul calls the flesh. One day, your flesh, that part of you which has got this kind of tendency, will completely die. It will will die away. It will be like skin just kind of falling off it will go one day when you see Jesus Christ when you have that final moment and when you die frankly your flesh will go and, and, and you'll have a liberty that at this stage we look forward to we, we wait for but while we're waiting we need to understand the flesh even now is not the boss not at all you've been set free from the power of sin you're a new creation who you are is a free child of God like Paul said in chapter 2 I have been crucified with Christ it is no longer I who lives but Christ lives in me and the life I now live I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me this is all over the scriptures Paul says it a lot he talks about the fact that we are brand new in Christ we're not what we were We're brand new now. We still have this flesh that wants to fight us. We have we have a a kind of selfish sucker inside us that wants to control our behavior and build our life and build the world around itself. Our role, our job at this stage is to not allow the flesh the space it wants. That's what he's saying in this key verse, where he says to them, "Don't let sorry, don't use your freedom." as an opportunity for the flesh the, the language he uses here is like military language it's like he's saying don't let the the freedom that God's given you be a base camp be like a military base for the flesh see the flesh when it hears I've been set free from the law I, I've been set free I, God loves me whatever I'm free from the obligation to try and please him by my own efforts. I am completely free. And the flesh hears that and goes, bingo, that is good news. I am very excited about this because it means I get to live a completely selfish life. And it doesn't matter. I can be totally careless. And Paul says that would be retreat. That would be going backwards. That is not enjoying your freedom that is going backwards into slavery. The flesh wants the freedom to be all about you. Paul says that's not what it's for. So we have to think in, in different terms. We have to think, right, we've got to this place by God's grace, we've got to this place of opportunity and freedom. Now we need to advance. We need to advance into the world and love people and show mercy we need to use the freedom that we've been given in a powerful way for God not retreat not go backwards and the fight to live a free life before God means simply holding our ground sometimes and not yielding not going backwards so some military commanders understand this really well Because what you have in some situations in wars is is people getting to a a, a point where the enemy looks dangerous, and so they start making plans for retreat. They start making plans for retreat. And we as Christians can start allowing our flesh to control us and dictate to us how we're supposed to act in our lives. We can make allowances for behaviors, habits, habits, decisions that really any child of God should know that's not going to lead me anywhere good but our flesh comes along and says well you should at least try this I mean you are free so at least retreat a little bit you are free so at least flirt with that person online that you probably shouldn't flirt with it doesn't matter you are free you are free so you know you you can go a bit further with your girlfriend you're free so just go a little bit further you can go I mean it doesn't you're not going all the way so you're free I mean come on this, this is fine you are, you are free, so you know, I know what you're wearing will probably cause some people a little bit of a struggle, but you're free. Who's anybody to tell you what to wear? Didn't the preacher say you're free? So you wear what you like. And what's happening there is, is the flesh is basically taking hold of the freedom that Christ has given you and running into retreat with it. That's not good. That's not the point of it. The point of the freedom that Jesus has brought us into is to liberate us more bring us into greater joy, greater ex- enjoyment of God, greater experience of his love, greater enjoyment of life and all the things that God has for us. I'll read you a quotation. This is a, a thing that a military commander said to some soldiers in, in, the, in the Second World War. This is what Montgomery said. This is fascinating. He showed up at a battle in in Egypt against the Germans and he said this to the soldiers. He turned up late or at least He turned up at the point where they really needed a change because they were losing. They were getting hammered by this amazing German general called Rommel. And Montgomery shows up and he said this, I love this. I believe that one of the first duties of a commander is to create what I call atmosphere. And in that atmosphere his staff, subordinate commanders and troops will live and work and fight. I do not like the general atmosphere I find here. It is an atmosphere of doubt, of looking back to select the next place to which to withdraw. Of loss of confidence in our ability to defeat Rommel. Of desperate defence measures by reserves in preparing positions in Cairo and the Delta. All that must cease. Let us have a new atmosphere. The defence of Egypt lies here, at Alamein. What is the use of digging trenches in the Delta? It's quite useless. If we lose this position we lose egypt all the fighting troops now in the delta must come here at once and will here we will stand and fight there will be no further withdrawal i have ordered that all plans and instructions dealing with further withdrawal are to be burned and at once we will stand and fight here if we can't stay here alive then let us stay here dead that's a real soldier Sometimes military commands, what they'll do is they'll literally burn the boats that they used to get to the beach that they're fighting for. Or burn the bridges they just came across. Say, we're not going back. We are not retreating. We're fighting. Jesus has set you free from the power of sin, so do not go back there. Do not lose ground to it. Resolve in your heart, I just won't go there. Jesus set me free from that. That's, That's not even me anymore. That's not even me. Why would I go there? That's not even who I am. St. Augustine was uh, a, a, an amazing preacher. He used to, before he became a Christian, he slept around. He was involved with loads of different women. He walked down the street once as a Christian, and a woman came in his direction, and, and she recognized him as someone he used to uh, flirt with, and she looks at him flirtation. She says, Oh, Augustine, it's me. It's me. And he turns to her and says, it's not me, and walks on. That's, that's a Christian. It's not me. That's not me anymore. It's what I used to be, maybe, but it's not me. I'm in Christ now. Something's happened, radical, to change me, to give me true freedom. So he warns them about this huge mistake that they could fall into. But then, finally, he focuses them on the task. And I want to just read again the end of verse 13 where he says this, through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Through love, serve one another. Now this is really worth closing in on before we finish. This is massive. Because actually the word he uses when he says serve one another is more like the word for slave. He's saying through love, become slaves to one another now that is peculiar because he's just spent the, 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 the few words before saying you're called to freedom you're not slaves and then he says now I want you to really celebrate your freedom I want you to really enjoy your freedom by becoming slaves now when you see bits of the Bible that seem to bash against each other and contradict each other don't Don't give up in despair. Don't think, well, that means the Bible doesn't make sense. No, just keep looking, keep reading, keep praying, and keep thinking. And just see if God has got something incredible to say in the mystery of these two things that seem to not fit together, but actually they do in a a, a magical kind of way. So let's just try and put these ideas together. We're free from having to impress and free from all the things that that kept us in bondage, but we're called to be slaves to one another. How can that be? Well, let's, let's think of it like this. What is it? What is it in essence that we have been set free from? What is it that we've been liberated from? The freedom has been freedom from needing to win God's approval. Freedom from needing God's approval. That's what Jesus has brought us. When we sing and dance and shout about how we are free, I'm free, I'm free before God, I can sing, and and all the rest, all the songs that we sing. What are we singing about? We're singing about freedom from needing the approval of God because somebody has already gained it for us. Somebody is perfectly approved of by God and we are in him and so we have no need for God's approval anymore. And and what that means for us in our hearts is huge because so much of the anxiety, so much of the, the pressure, even the fear that we go through ordinarily in our lives, so much of the discouragement and the weariness, so much of the jealousy the the longing to have what someone else has, to be what somebody else seems to be. So much of the striving and the yearning that actually causes us distress and robs us of our peace and stops us from resting happy in our lives. It all really comes back to a need for approval from God and approval from other people. And Jesus has come, as we've been saying over these last three days, to see to it that we don't need that now. Jesus has come to give that to us. Because of Jesus, you can know the Father approves of me. The Father delights in me. The Father is proud of me. The Father is excited about me. The Father truly loves me cherishes me and and friends if you go from this tent and if you go from this campsite after this week wondering if you have the approval of God I will be so sad for you because you will have missed the whole point of what God has been saying again and again through the words of the songs through the teaching God wants you to know what his son has done for you that you can live your life free from that kind of claustrophobic, suffocating need and anxiety that pressurises you, and robs you of your joy. Just to know, to be free, I, I'm known and loved by my Father. Walking in the good of it is actually all you'll need. When you know that, it frees you from the wrong kind of loving people. When we see in the Bible the command, love your neighbor as yourself, we can start to try to obey that and without perhaps realizing it, begin to put ourselves back under the law because what we're really trying to do is prove to God and prove to other people that really I am a good Christian. I, I will love you, I'm, I'm going to be loving I, I choose to love other people I will love other people, I will love other people I will be a good Christian I will try very hard to love people like I'm supposed to like they say, like, like Jesus did Jesus loved people and I should love people and so I'm going to just keep trying very hard to love people I promise you, the more you live with that mentality the less you actually will love people you'll probably end up beginning to hate them because you'll be loving people out of a kind of emptiness out of a need for their approval if I love this person maybe they'll love me back that's really how so much of what we call love in the world happens that's why a lot of people get involved in sexual relationships that they know they shouldn't because they want to be loved by somebody and so they love them physically as a way of trying to be loved That's why some of you get into groups of friends who don't actually like you and don't show any respect to you at all but you try very hard to please them because you want them to respect you and like you. You want it so much that you will do anything you can to love them in a sense. You'll you'll do anything you can to be with them because the thing you crave is their approval, is their love. Jesus has come to set you free from that need. You don't need it. you can can live free. That is powerful freedom. That's powerful liberty. And anybody who lives in the good of that freedom starts to love people differently. Starts to show people kindness, not out of emptiness, but out of fullness. See, Jesus met this woman in John chapter 4 who was on her own sitting by a well. And and he got into a conversation with her and and he found out as they're talking that, well, he actually knew. He he told her that he knew because the Holy Spirit told him that she'd had four husbands and the man she was with now was not her husband. So you're probably talking about somebody who had tried lots of relationships out of some kind of aching desire to be loved aching, longing to be approved of. She, she tried man after man after man. She, she, she looked for something. And then Jesus starts talking to her about water. He says, he says the water in this well, if you keep coming back, you, you'll get thirsty. And You drink the water in this well, you'll be thirsty again. And he's talking to her really about her husbands, I guess, about the men in her life. You, you keep coming back to these men, you'll only get thirsty If you drink the water I give you, the water I give you will become a well on the inside of you, springing up to eternal life. You will not crave other people's love. You will actually begin to overflow with it. You'll start to give love to other people. But it won't be because you tried really hard. It will be because of me. That's what Jesus is saying. It will be because... You came to me. You drank the water I give. See, your, your church, your youth group, just the friends that you're with on your site, you, you have the opportunity, you have the chance to be something miraculous. What Paul is after when he writes to these churches in Galatia is, is something miraculous. The world is full of communities of people who basically n- score off each other depending on each other and we hang out and we kind of have fun but deep down we desperately need each other's approval and, and we find it hard to really give to each other, to really love each other freely because we're really longing for them to give it back, we're trying to score back from each other so I might be generous to someone else but really I'm waiting for them to be more generous back and, and that's how it will work in, in, a, in a world which is empty When Paul talks about living in the flesh, he's talking about living empty. But living in Christ and living in love means living out of fullness. Living with water that that you never thirst again. It becomes a well on the inside. Paul says in verse 15, if you keep on biting each other, you'll devour each other. You know, empty people, they'll just bite each other. They'll just have a crack at each other. They'll get jealous of each other. They'll get angry with each other. Even at New Day. Even at New Day. Some of you spent the week just in strife, gossiping, irritated with each other. It's weird, isn't it, how this happens. It's so weird. It gets even into churches. What's happening there? What's happening is we're not feeding on Jesus. We're just dry. We're dry. We're cracked. We need to be refreshed. We need to enjoy the love of God in Jesus. The more we get filled with him, the more. You know, I can overlook it if someone's a bit rude to me. I'll get a bit ignored i get a bit slighted. I didn't get thanked. They gossiped about me. Jesus died for me. I'm okay. I can love. I can love people who don't love me. I can love a world that doesn't love me. I can love people who persecute me. It's that miraculous. I can love people who are cruel to me. I go back to school. People say, where were you at the summer? I went to a New Day. What's that? It's a Christian event. What? You come under scrutiny and attack and gossip and... All kinds of of, of malice. What do you do? What do you do? You've got to just run away, hide from those people. No, Jesus has given us resources to actually love those people. Love people who hate you. Who persecute you. What, because I need their approval? I don't need anything. I'm free. I love them because Jesus first loved me. I've just found the most loving person. He loved me when I didn't deserve it. He loved me when I was horrible to him. Much more horrible than there being to me. And, and actually, I've only ever done horrible things to him. All I brought to him was my sin. All I brought was my mistakes and my shame and my shortcomings. That's all I've done. And all he's done for me is love me. Die for me and he's changing me and he's making me the kind of person that loves other people even when they don't deserve it they don't deserve it but neither did I that's what it means to be free 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 to love one another and to love a dying hurting world that needs to know this love of Jesus